when my alto wife was singing it with me so <laughs> there's some really neat parts in here but the words are amazing and and um just want us to all join in together to sing this in
Randy, you didn't call me out, man. Come on. All right, let's go to prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for today. We want to take this time and thank you for all of our blessings, the country we live in, the community that we live in, and the blessings that provides. We want to ask that uh, you bless those that serve, uh, both as a, a national level, those abroad, and uh, those that uh, offer support in specific needs, uh, just as the Pregnancy Help Center this uh, in this area that helps those that uh, need a little support, need a little help, a little education. Uh, we're so grateful for the service they provide. Lord, we also ask that uh, you help today as Alan preaches on uh, another uh, portion of your the, the hope we have in you. Uh, we also ask that as we're in this budget discernment process that you be with each one of us as a, as a family group, uh, that we, uh, we take this opportunity to revisit our own personal budgets and see where we can uh, do a better job or, or continue to do the job to uh, support your ministries here at this church. We ask that you bless the life groups that uh, meet uh, within this church body, that uh, you bless the time that they share together, as well the time together that we share together as a family in this time of uh, gathering. We ask that uh, you be with our, our sick, those that need your uh, personal touch of healing. We ask that you be with uh, Vicki and Kevin this week as they, uh, they go and meet their uh, respective doctors and get the treatment that they need. Lord, we're just so very grateful that we as a family can come together openly and uh, study a portion of your word, be better for it, and come together and, and enjoy each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, let your light light up his
So yesterday, my wife was scrolling through her Facebook feed, and she found a story that she thought I needed to hear. So apparently, in 2004, in New Zealand, there was a sheep named Shrek the Sheep, and he became a news sensation, and somehow I missed it in 2004 because Facebook wasn't a thing in 2004. But Shrek the Sheep apparently did not like to be sheared. And so he spent six years hiding in a cave to stay away from the shearers when it came shearing time. And uh, he accumulated a great deal of fleece. That's not a good thing if you're a merino sheep because they do, not, they do not shed. So it just accumulates. So normally 10 pounds a year of fleece. In six years, he had about 60 pounds of fleece. And it's not a good thing for a merino sheep because you can overheat in New Zealand in the summer and, and it can kill you. The other thing is they can flop over on their back and because they're so rotund with all this fleece, they're kind of like a June bug and they'll never flip back over. <laughs> and they'll just kind of lay there helpless and hopeless. And then, uh, and then my wife pointed out to me, that's, that's like our condition without Jesus. Uh, we have things in life that we cannot take care of for ourselves. We can run and we can distance ourselves from God and what will be the result of that is that we will accumulate really the effects of sin on us and it will it will kill us if we let it if we don't get found by the lord that that accumulation will be a bad thing for us just like that fleece was for the sheep um, luckily we're not helpless and hopeless because we have a loving shepherd that wants to find us and will take great efforts to find us and when he finds us he will help us with our problems he'll let us uh shed that burden you know, when they found that sheep, it only, I forget how long it took. It, the, it was a news event, so they had the best shearer there, and it was on the national news in New Zealand. And I think in less than a minute, he had that fleece off of that sheep. You know, six years of problems just rolled off his back in, in less than a minute. It's like that with God. He can make a radical transition in your life. That burden that you've been carrying can be shed if we would just quit avoiding him. I'd like to read in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Join me in a, a blessing for the loaf. Father, we want to humbly uh, approach you now, and we want to offer our praise to you. And, Father, we offer our thanks to you that you have seen our condition, that we were helpless. And, Father, that you offered us hope in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, who came to this earth, who lived a perfect life, in whose body that we get to partake, Father, and that it gives us life, it uh, protects our life, it takes our troubles and sins away, and it washes us clean. And, Father, we just thank you for that love that you have extended to us through the body of Christ. And, Father, we ask your blessing on this loaf, the body, as we partake of it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Please join me in a blessing for the cup. Father, again, we humble ourselves before you. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you how that you have uh, taken that blood and you have covered us, Father, and you no longer see our sin, that you've cleansed us from that sin. And Father, that you have given us a righteousness that we can live in. Father, we uh, ask your blessing on us as we partake in this cup and the blood of Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I suffered much for thee, more than thy tongue can tell, a bitterest agony, and rescue thee from hell. I borne, I borne it all for thee, what hast thou? So at this time we're going to be uh, doing the collection where, and what we want to be in remembrance of right now is that we're in this budget discernment time and we want to be very purposeful in what you're giving. So seek that vision from God of what it is that you should be giving monetarily to the ministries of this church and uh, ask for his blessing in doing that and then, and then do it on purpose. Will you join me in a, in a prayer? Father, we thank you that you, uh, that you allow us to join you in ministry here on this earth, Father. And we know we're in, in, inadequate, and it would probably be easier just to do it without us. But, Father, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to, to be a part of your work. 
Father, we ask that you would give us a clear vision of how we should be participating in that. And Father, I pray that you would give us the motivation to follow through on that vision that you have given us. Father, we would ask that you would uh, take the offerings that we give today and that you would bless those and that you would uh, multiply them and use them for your work here in Lake Jackson. Father, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So at this time, if kids want to participate in Kids Gift, come on up to the front, and then after that, you can be dismissed to Praise Kids and Stage 2. So I'll be standing. <clears throat> How great a chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the Hallelujah! Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah! 
chapter 26, verses 4 through 8. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And the whole church said, The amazing thing is that Paul is not talking about a hope that has its foundation in Jesus Christ. He will before that... um, time is done, before that sermon is done, he will come to the fact that the resurrection of all is affirmed in the resurrection of Jesus. But he's talking about the hope of the Jews. The hope of 1,500 years approximately of people who have been born from Abraham as father and grandfather and so on and so on. A hope that pointed towards the coming of Jesus but a hope that stood without knowing what the Messiah would look like, that he was coming. And where, one has to ask, where is that hope coming from? What is its foundation? Where does it stand? The story that the Jews told over and over, a story that came up in a feast over and over, and over and over and over again. For however many generations there were, from that time to the present, it was the story of the Passover. The Passover feast was inaugurated as this moment in time when every year all of the people, and this was not just all of the people who were in Jerusalem, but it seems that wherever God's people were, They would stop, and even if they didn't have the opportunity to take that lamb to the temple, they stopped and said, we have to remember what God did. We have to remember that there is a real story of a real people 
who had been gone to Egypt as, as free men, but who had begun to threaten Pharaoh. The text tells us that it, in reality, they were fulfilling the first command that God gave all humanity. Be fruitful and multiply. And guess what? Those Hebrews were being fruitful and multiply. They became so large that it threatened Pharaoh. And he set them to hard labor. We call it slavery. The, that didn't stop the, the continued multiplying of the people. And so he did one of, we have to say, one of the most heinous things that any ruler, any anyone who had responsibility for slaves has ever done. He took the, the males, male children, took them and cast them in the river. He didn't cast them in the river so that they could wash up on the shore somewhere else. He cast them in the river so that they would die. He heard the cry of those people. Again, he heard the physical cry of a real group of people in a real geographic place in a specific historical time. He heard their cry and he said, I'll save them. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to change their fortunes. When they celebrated the Passover, the particular um, thing that was being remembered was the way in which they painted the blood on the post of the house and the angel of death would, quote, pass over that home as he brought retribution for what Pharaoh had done willingly and now is done unwillingly. And yet the Hebrews were saved. That's not all the story. Because they know if you tell that part of the story, you also have to tell about the Red Sea. You have to tell about stepping out. Out there where, where they had never been before. Out to a place where they didn't know how to get across. They couldn't do it themselves. And suddenly the enemy came running down behind them. And it was God. It was God who parted the waters. And, you know, in reality, I don't know whether you're a fan of Cecil B. DeMille's. I kind of love that when the water comes up. And then, of course, it just folds right back. And um, I was very impressed with, and again, you never turn to the movies for, to inform your biblical knowledge, but you turn to, to representations to expand your imagination. What all was going on? How did they feel? What did they think? Uh, movie with Christian Bale in it called Gods and Kings and Gods, Gods and Kings, Exodus. This one's my favorite, though. Yes, it's animated, and you say, how childish. That simply means that you have not watched it and listened. You know what's missing in this? What's missing in this video? Say it out loud. Sound. There's a great... A documentary that you can get on Prime right now called Score. Uh, it is about the way musical scores are written and how they're composed and where they come from. You'll, be, you'll enjoy watching it if you enjoy music, but particularly if you enjoy music at the movies. Notice how the story doesn't have the same impact without the sound. The way 
Uh, and again, I know that, that they misrepresent Moses holding the staff over the water, but, but I don't know what it must have felt like when the water started moving back. But in this animation, just the way it's depicted, and, and particularly the sound, brings it to life. Without the sound, it doesn't have the impact. And what I want to say to you is that the Jews' hope is empty the same way a movie is empty without the score. The Jews' hope is empty without the reality of pointing back to, look what he has done. And we remember it every year when we celebrate. We retell the story of God's rescue how without us lifting a single sword, spear, or bow, God wiped out the most powerful army in the world and left us free on the other side. Without fear of threat, this is really critical. If the army hadn't have been wiped out, the, the people could have existed out there, maybe even made their way to the promised land, not failed at Kadesh the way that they did, but there would always be the threat of that Egyptian army coming to get us. God didn't just remove the immediate threat. God removed all threats for the next several generations. It's a story that filled them. We have a story that fills us. Amen. It's real. It's historical. It happened in a place. It happened by people to a person. And that story fills our trust and our hope for what is to come. And somebody say, Amen. Why don't you bow with me in prayer. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the way we can come together, as Wes said, freely and without fear to celebrate your love and to open your word and... Hear what it says. Let the Spirit speak to us. This morning, as we, as we look at the way hope was so powerfully founded in the people of Israel before Jesus ever came, may we get a sense that that same sense of hope and trust and faith can be built in our lives, become something real that happened. And the promise that the one who made that thing happen is will make everything that we hope for complete and true and full. Father, again, bless us as we open your word today. But more importantly, Father, bless us as we open our hearts to your word. We would ask that your spirit would come and speak to us. We pray this in the name of our hope. Jesus Christ. And we all say, immediately following the water washing back in, swallowing up the Egyptian army, saving God's people, Moses sings. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew out your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who? Among the gods is like you, O Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord, the Lord will reign forever and ever. There were so many days, so many days where there wasn't a home. There were so many days that they wandered in the wilderness. There were so many days, even, even after they came into the land, that they didn't realize all that God wanted for them. There were so many days and years and even centuries where they wallowed in their sin, but they still fought back to. And I don't think anybody ever forgot, particularly those who, while surrounded by the faithlessness of others, they themselves held to, cling to God, And did everything that they could do with their family and their influence to be about what God was about. There were those days when they they couldn't see that the Lord would reign forever and ever. And yet they told that story. I don't know how far away it seemed on that day. It's kind of like the farmer who, who breaks the ground that's so dry that it literally becomes a powder and blows away. He puts the seed in, not because the the ground at that moment looks like it's going to yield a harvest. He, He puts the seed in because God will send the rain. Are there any farmers here? God's going to send the rain. And I think those people in faithfulness and in hope said, if he did it then and he promised he would do it again, it is coming. The saddest part of all, of course, is that when Messiah came, so many were blinded. They knew the story of God's redemption, but they couldn't put together how God was going to come in a manger in Bethlehem. Come out of Galilee, where nothing good could come from, and be the light and be the redemption. But it was still this story that pointed them towards the hope. It was still this story that pointed them towards what Paul would talk about in that passage from Acts and that sermon before Felix and Agrippa and said, My people hope. 
they've just missed the one. But they won't stop hoping. Did you hear that phrase? Second or third phrase into it. It's the foundation of the faith of God's people. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And wherever they were in their journey, whether they were wandering in the wilderness, whether they were being besieged by the, the Amalekites or the Philistines already in the Holy Land, or whether they were carried off to Babylon, they held to the idea that if we are going to be saved, it will be the Lord who saves us. Except there was no if. The Lord will save. And while Moses can say it pointing back at the Red Sea, pointing back at the Passover angel, pointing back at all the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, to say, I am more powerful than any of your gods. Don't defy me. Pharaoh wouldn't listen. He never would. It sounds sort of familiar. At that moment, Moses' Moses's eyes are filled with the sense of God's salvation. But for the hundreds of years, and for the hundreds of years that wait before us, we say, hope in Christ will be fulfilled because God keeps his promises. Somebody say amen. Part of the power of the song, part of the power of the song of what Moses sang isn't just the affirmation that God is, that Yahweh, Jehovah, is their salvation, but the power of the song also highlights, again, what the plagues were trying to say all along, which who among the gods is like you? In our 21st century minds, with the sense of all gods other than God, is other than Jehovah, are false gods, we don't talk this way. But this is the way of the people of the Old Testament. God was the greatest God. Your people may have a God, and He may do things for you, but there is no greater God than ours. There's no greater God than Jehovah. And that is why our hope is sure, is that he can overcome whatever gods might come in opposition to him. And while in your life you may say, I have these things that beset me, I have these difficult thoughts, I have these sins that come up against me, I have these gods that oppose what Jehovah wants to do, we proclaim with Moses, there is no God. Like this God. As Craig pointed out in his communion talk. Inspired by Anne's viewing of Facebook. God can do it. God can do it instantly. God can take that burden away. God can overcome. Jehovah God can overcome. Through Jesus Christ. Anything that besets you. The story of Job is a very old one. There are thoughts that the writing of the book of Job may have actually taken place even before Moses started putting the Torah, the five books of law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, may have even been written before Moses put pen to that. It's very ancient language. It is the story of a man who struggles with the fact that while living a righteous life, he is beset by great sorrow and trouble. That story unfolds with many layers. Accusations from friends 
quote, friends who come to, quote, encourage him. And yet they continually go about the process of saying, no, 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 you don't understand. You had to have messed up to be in this situation. And he continually says, no. I have been faithful to my God, and yet I suffer. It's kind of an eternal question, isn't it? How do we work towards being the kind of people that God wants us to be, and yet we're still hit by struggles and difficulties? Whether they're physical ailments or spiritual attacks or relational struggles. Why? Oh, just and good God, would you leave me here like this? Job can make that claim above all others. Job is the one who can cry out and shake his fist at God and say, no, 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 this isn't right. And Job goes through a series of, of, I I think in certain extent, series of emotions of grieving about his suffering. He comes to the place where he just says, just take me. Can't we just get this over with? But eventually he comes to chapter 16 is the first hint of this and chapter 19 completes it. And he says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved. And these are words that are, that are, that are intended to say, I don't want anybody to forget this. I may forget my suffering someday. You may forget my suffering someday. But I don't want anybody to forget this. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, He will stand upon the earth. He'll stand here with me. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I am not another. And look at that last phrase. How my heart yearns within me. I want to tell you that if you read Job, you're going to discover that these words are said in anger. God, you've got to come here and you've got to stand beside me. Not as my accuser, but as the witness to my righteousness. Why aren't you here now? But it's the anger that is about lament and mourning. And by the way, it is the inspiration for the majority of the Psalms that we read. The Psalms that say, God, I'm in this trouble. I can't believe how much trouble I'm in. I can't can't see that you hear me. I can't know that you know my troubles. God, won't you come? I yearn for you to come and stand beside me. I yearn that you will be my salvation. Don't know what it was like to have been one of those Jews who through the ups and downs, through the times of of glorious kingdom of David and Solomon to the great tragedies of the unfaithful kings of Jehoiakim being carried off into exile and so many of the people with him of the restoration 
of the people to Israel and the reconstruction of the temple, but the reflection that what is here now is so small and insignificant compared to what was. And yet they yearned. They spoke in their heart, I know that my Redeemer lives. They didn't know about the cross. They had no idea that the salvation wasn't going to be some small momentary geopolitical thing. But instead was going to be the salvation of the whole earth through the blood of Jesus Christ. For all that will turn to him, wherever they may be, whatever their circumstance, whatever their trial, whatever their distance from the story of God, if they turn to Jesus the blood of Jesus in faith turned to the cross and the reality of the resurrection. He would redeem them like nothing. Job or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Joel could have imagined. They imagined it, but it was just the hem of the garment of what Jesus was. Can we have that kind of trust in God that leads us to a hope that changes us. Three quick ways to think. First of all, we need to be a people who recognize the insufficiency of placing our hopes in the temporary and transitory things of this world. If you haven't lived long enough yet, you will. As soon as you start saying, I'm, I'm healthy and all is going well, something changes. Every time you put your hope in the idea, I have such a good job and I'm, I'm moving up in my career, something will change. Every time you put your hope in, oh, my children are growing up so wonderfully, something will change. Whatever you put your hopes in, in this temporary, transitory world, it'll fail you. And we need to recognize every day the insufficiency of putting any of our, and the way the New Testament says it, putting any of our treasures into the treasure box of this world. Because we want to put our faith in what is to come. Amen? Secondly, we need to be a people who affirm that God is the only one who holds eternity and ultimate victory in his hand. I realize those are kind of opposites of each other. We need to let go of holding on to this world and we need to, as Job said, I yearn. I yearn for you. Maybe that's why you came to church today. Maybe that's why you chose to sit in this audience. Maybe that's why you brought your children or your grandchildren to Bible class. I said, I, I, wanna, I want them to separate the difference between the things of this world and the things that God offers. I hope that in the songs we sang and maybe in some of the scriptures we read and some of the words that I said, it points you towards there is nothing to yearn for in this life. There is everything to yearn for in God's great eternity. Finally, We are called to follow Jesus in trusting God. I want you to understand that the resurrection was not a reality 
when Jesus walked to the cross. He had brought Jairus' daughter. He had brought the widow's son at Nain. And he had brought even Lazarus out of the tomb four days after he died. But what went on in the resurrection of Jesus, a body that came back to life never to die again, had never happened. Jesus goes to the garden that night and prays with such earnestness, may the cup pass, but but I'm going to do what you've instructed me to do, and that's go to the cross. And Father, I'm going to the cross because I trust that you will be my redeemer and that I will live again. I don't know how that conversation went before God said, okay, it's time to go into Mary's womb. But don't worry. Have you ever told your children that? Don't worry, it'll be okay. I have a feeling this was a hard conversation. I have a feeling it was a hard conversation because the prayer in the garden was a hard conversation. But it didn't change the reality that the Son of God would trust the Father and lay his life into his hand and say, I trust that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because you Bring me back. That's what we're called to, church. We're called to a faith that says, I will hope in what God says will happen, will become a reality the way what God has said in the past became a reality. We join God's people for centuries and millennia who say, I know my Redeemer lives and I will see him standing in this life. You're invited to come. You're invited to come not to, <laughs> not to great singing. Somebody say amen. <laughs> if it was Fellowship Sunday, I would tell you, you're not invited to come to good food because we have great food. Somebody say Amen. You're not invited to come to some of the best preaching you'll hear in the brotherhood anywhere. <laughs> You're invited to come to Jesus who walked the exact same path and gave his life into God's hands and God did not fail him. Why don't you come as we stand, as we sing. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way.
So I wanted to take a little bit of time to make a, a announcement regarding Sunshine School. Some of you may have heard this. Uh, so it's a little bittersweet for me. We moved here in 2000 and we have been, my family has been associated with the school in one capacity or another since 2000. I know some of y'all have a, more of a history with the school even than that, probably going back 35, 36, 37 years. Uh, this church has always embraced the school and the school has always made a great impact in our community. Uh, so over the last few years, we've come to the realization that the current model, the way the school operates right now, uh, times have moved a little bit past it and we, it's not sustainable right now. So we decided that we're going to take a break. Uh, the, the school will continue this year. It will continue all the way through May to graduation, just like normal. Uh, the school will not reopen in the fall. We'll be taking at least a one-year break, and during that time, we're going to be uh, revisioning of the school, have an effort to revision that, see how we can move that model to something that is sustainable and something that still is an effective ministry here in the community. Uh, scheduled a meeting for February the 5th, which is a Wednesday at 5.30 in the Fellowship Center, and I'll, I'll lead that, but really anybody that has any interest in, in we don't know what that vision is, so it's pretty wide open. So people that are interested in being part of that visioning effort, come, come, come to that meeting. We'll probably have a couple opportunities up front, not to cast the vision at that first meeting, but just to see, kind of get a little organization going to how we're going to go about that visioning effort. We know it's not going to be a week-long visioning effort, or we would not have canceled school next year. We, we, it, it will take a little bit of time to get it right. It will involve probably differences in, in the times that we have offerings for kids. It'll involve maybe different changes in the f physical facilities of the church. It will it could involve changes in having to get licensed through the state and things like that. So we know we don't want to rush that process. We want to give God time to cast that vision. I'm inviting you to come to this meeting February 5th, 5:30. It's on a Wednesday. Uh, we should have bread of life that day, so you could grab a plate and we could we could get the kicked off. Thank you for your time. First, I'd like to go ahead and extend my welcome to all the guests that we may have here today. Uh, we have a uh, something to uh, say, express our thanks to that, and uh, invite you to worship with us anytime uh, you're here. Thank you very much. A uh, couple of uh, announcements: uh, Pam Manning will be having a heart catheterization, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, Vicki Wonderlick and Kevin Hunter are also scheduled for some procedures this week, and we're uh, continuing to pray for them. And there may be some others, I'm sure. God is aware of, the, of your needs and your prayers and your requests. Uh, so let's remember them. Um, life groups, like to uh, just go ahead and reemphasize life groups. We have uh, groups at different locations, different times. So hopefully to uh, meet whatever's convenient for you. Uh, got a great topic, talking about the hope of heaven. Uh, that's always a good topic. Um, uh, just put in a little plug for ours. We, Arlene and I meet at our house in Danbury at 4 o'clock. Our goal is to end, so if you don't like driving after dark, you can get home before it gets dark. So we invite you there. Or there are many others that meet at different times. Um, I have been, uh, Arlene and I have been reading a book written by this uh, Muslim girl who converted to Christianity in Iran. 
I think it was during the 80s and 90s, and uh, I highly recommend it. If you'd like to read it, get in touch with me, and I'll get the information to you. Lots of tremendously good information uh, about Islam and what it's like to be a Christian in a country that literally is executing Christians. Uh, she had to be a Christian secretly. Uh, her sister-in-law was also a Christian. Her sister-in-law was found out, and her, her sister-in-law was executed by the Iranian government. And all she had to do was renounce Jesus, and she could have lived. So uh, it's a great book to read, but the thing I want to bring up about it regarding heaven is she asked her brother-in-law, who is a religious scholar at one of the colleges, and she said, how can we know that we're going to be in heaven? And he just laughed and he said, you can't know. You just live the best you can, and when you get stand before God, you just hope, you just, maybe you've been good enough to make it into heaven. And you can understand why they can convince people to put bombs on themselves and go kill a bunch of people because that's the one way in their religion that you can guarantee that you're going to be in heaven, and that's to die killing a bunch of infidels. I praise God that that's not the kind of hope that we have. We have an assurance. You know, it's a, Alan put it here, you know, living in a wishing world. You know, I, I, I hope the... Astros can make it to the World Series after this scandal. I hope the Texans can win the Super Bowl next year. You know, it's kind of like I'm wishing. You know, but that's not, that's not what we're doing. We're hoping we have an assurance. And it's not whether I'm good enough. Jesus has already been good enough. He is our sacrifice. And so we have an assurance. This hope is more of an assurance. So as we're studying our small groups in heaven, let's, let's remember the assurance uh, that we have in Jesus. Uh, I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, probably have stuff all over your refrigerator. Your kids came home from kindergarten and they drew something. And realistically, you have no idea what that is. <laughs> but they said, Mommy, this is you, or Daddy, this is you. Or, and man, you put that on your refrigerator. Uh, our grandson brought a rock in the other day. It was a ninja crystal. So if you want to see a ninja crystal, a real ninja crystal, come to my house. He was real excited the next week when he came back and said, Nana, you didn't throw away the ninja crystal. You still have it. It was sitting there on the shelf, that rock, that ninja crystal. You know, when we pray to God, it's not that we just hope that he will hear our prayers. We'll hope. It's more than that. God's refrigerator is covered with our prayers. Now, in Revelations, the way it describes it, in two places it talks about bowls of incense which is the prayers of the saints. It's not that God is listening to your prayer. He is saving those prayers up. He goes back every once in a while and rereads your prayers that you prayed last year, that you prayed the year before. We have this assurance. So remember that when you pray to God, God considers it a bowl of incense before him. If you'll pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you to honor you, to glorify you, to praise you, to lift you up. Uh, you have sent your Son who lived a perfect life, who took our place on that cross. And Lord, we have a hope, we have an assurance that our faith in Jesus will be rewarded with a home with you forever and, uh, in a place we call heaven. 
And Lord, as we come before you with our prayers and our requests and our petitions, we just want to hold up Pam Manning, uh, Kevin Hunter, and Vicki Wonderlick, especially as they have procedures. And, and Lord, there are many others. Everyone in this has a, 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 a request on their heart, uh, themselves or a family member or a friend who is, who is hurting in some way. And we just hold each one of those people up to you as you read our hearts and just uh, ask that you will... Uh, uh, give them their request and heal them and comfort them. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for the uh, ones who have received some encouraging news, some good news, and we just see your fingerprints, the fingerprints of your healing hands all over this as you uh, hold us in your hands, as you comfort us, wrap your loving arms around us, and we just pray for them uh, that their prayers will be answered. Uh, Lord, we just are thankful for the forgiveness we have, and we just pray that uh, the things we have done here today have been uh, inspirational to us, has been uh, beneficial, educational, and that that has been uh, praising and glorifying of you. And that as we walk through our lives every day, every waking moment, that we will be uh, shining examples of the life of Jesus, that they can see uh, Jesus in us and that Jesus can be praised. Not that we will be praised, but Jesus will be praised. It's all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. So I'll be standing. Come, let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and exalted music and song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. And the mountains speak belong to him, the sea is as he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. 